they associate growth with pain. But if I can help you grow without any pain, why not want to grow? Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have back our serial guest, Edward Chan, who is co-founder of Chan and Naylor Accountants and Wise Mentoring for Accountants. Now, it has been on the show a few times in the past talking all about elements relating to how to grow a business, including an accounting practice, but it's absolutely as relevant to anyone who's looking to grow a business. But he, he's also talked in many instances about how he has used mergers and acquisitions to grow his practices over time. It is also a regular a keynote speaker on many property seminars around Australia and is recognised as one of Australia's foremost authorities on tax and property. He's also co-authored four best-selling books. But today we're not necessarily here to talk about um, anything that's specifically in those books. We're really here to continue the conversations that we've had with Ed in the past about acquisitions as a growth strategy in business. But in this two-part series, we're talking specifically about how you can use mergers and joint ventures to grow a business. Now, in these two parts of this two-part series, we talk about the difference between a merger and a joint venture, which is quite interesting. It's an interesting distinction that we're looking at here, but has some really relevant business insights. We look specifically at how Ed used JVPs, what he calls JVPs, joint venture partnerships to grow his practice over the last many decades. And we look at other nuances. We look at why a corporate model is better than a partnership model. And we look at what they actually both mean. (laughs) We look at some tips and tricks if you're looking at undergoing a joint venture relationship. We talk about Chan and Naylor's first JV experience and the differences between the way they conduct JVs now versus how they did right in the beginning. But in that discussion, we give some really good insights into how you can start off with approaching things from a JV perspective if you don't have a massive amount of money on your side starting off for acquisitions. We look at problems in consolidations. We look at how to bring value to the relationship of a joint venture. And we also look at the different between a JV model and a franchise model. And finally, for all of those accountants out there, we have a bit of a discussion about Ed's involvement now in WISE mentoring and some of the lessons that he's learned that are particularly relevant to accounting practices, but I actually think are really generally relevant to all businesses that are looking for growth. So we have all of this and much, much more in this two-part series. So sit back and relax and let's chat to Ed. Ed. 
thank you so much for coming back and joining us on the Deal Room podcast. You're most welcome. It's always great fun to join you. It is always so much fun to have you on the show, Ed. I absolutely love chatting to you. I love the discussions we have on the podcast and otherwise as well. So um, we're going to cover some really interesting topics today as always, but where do we start? So um, anyone who's been listening to the podcast has probably heard your background a few times. So I guess we don't need to start there today. The only thing that I will say is if you missed the last episode with Ed and I, you missed how to grow a practice through organic growth, product monetization and acquisition. So today we're moving on to the topic of using mergers and joint ventures to grow a practice. And in fact, we're taking a really individual look with you, Ed, and I'm looking to dig right into the topic of how you use mergers and joint ventures to grow your business. So why don't we start off with first, just a little bit of the more technical side, what do you see as the difference between a merger and a joint venture? Okay. There's, there's quite a quite a, a difference in the sense that um, I guess the biggest difference is between an acquisition and a merger or a, um, a joint venture. Mm. An acquisition, just for those who don't understand, is when you buy a practice out completely and there might be a little bit of a transition period and then eventually the, you, know, you, you take over, you're the boss, you run the, the way you, you want to run it and you try to transition the clients over. And there are some hiccups, but in the main, there's not too many hiccups. A merger is two firms coming together and trying to work together. So you're going to have uh, more problems in the sense that there's going to be change management issues. Yeah. There's going to be personality issues. Control. <laughs> the way we do things, I mean, that's a big decision, isn't it? Whose way do we adopt? Because when you're acquiring, you've got the power as the acquirer because everything, you know, you call the shots, it all comes under your banner. There has to be some sort of, I guess, a higher degree of agreement and meeting of the minds when we're talking Correct. about how we filter through a merger. Correct. And of course, um, in the first couple of years of an acquisition, it's uh, you can put up with the differences, it's just that when it becomes on a longer term basis, then, then your differences become less tolerable. Yeah. So merger, it's a, it's two practices coming together in a, in like a partnership, and you know unless the, the two officers share what I call a cultural fit, then it's difficult. Um, yeah. People have heard me say often that I didn't think partnerships worked. Mm. You should run it under a corporate model, not a partnership model. Mm. I'll just explain that. Mm, do. Yes, it's it's where as a partner, you're both an owner and a, a an operator. You know, in an, a, a corporate structure, we separate out the operational, your occupation to your shareholding. So the reason why I argue that a partnership doesn't work is because just because you're a partner doesn't necessarily mean that you're qualified to do everything in the organization. So in a partnership model, it's often thought that once you become a partner, you're you're an expert in everything and then you having a say in everything and the partnerships that I've seen around the place gets into a very hostile environment where 
nothing gets done. Mm. There's a lot of ego, a lot of pride, and there's a lot of pushback. And everybody wants to say in everything when mm. often they're not experienced or qualified in those particular areas. So if you take an accountancy practice, um, it's one thing to know how to prepare a tax return and prepare a financial set of accounts, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good business person or you're a good marketer or you're a good salesperson. Mm. And, uh, and often a partner wants to have a say in all those areas, even though they may not have the experience or the expertise in those areas. And and the decision-making process becomes very quite problematic, and often you know there's lots of arguments going on where nothing happens, and mm. I've been in situations where you know four partners on four hundred grand, four four hundred dollars an hour, spend five hours arguing, you know what kind of chair the receptionist should should sit on. Yeah, wow, it's a very good illustration of the issue. <laughs> <laughs> in a corporate model, we, we don't have that. In a corporate model, we separate out the occupation to the shareholding so that you're accountable to your occupation. So if you're the marketing manager, you're accountable for marketing. If you're the operations manager, you're, you know, accountable for operations. And, uh, and your shareholding is a separate issue. So as long as you know, the firm is making money, then you'll benefit as a shareholder and the dividend from it. But in the meantime, you're held accountable to your area of expertise. Mm. And I found that that works a lot better. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because of course, when most people, you know, and accountants and lawyers as a whole, when we think about the partnership model versus the corporate model, we, we just sort of thinking, oh, okay, well, how is it structured? Are you structured as partners? Or are you structured in a company and shares? But what you're talking about here is like way more fundamental is, you know, are your roles defined? Are you defining uh, and separating out different roles for each person so they can hold accountability in a particular area. So one person has a co- accountability for each particular area. Yes, I, I wasn't referring, you're, you're quite right, I wasn't referring to the legal structure, I was mm. referring to the management structure. Mm. And, um, yes, so so you know, we, we, we separate out uh, ownership to your occupation and your responsibility and uh, and ultimately, you know what you're responsible for. You know the KPIs that are mm. for that for that area of expertise. Mm, mm, mm. And I, I've heard a saying. I can't remember. I'll, I'll quote this very badly, but uh, work with me. I think you'll get the idea. <laughs> Like, uh, you know, w- one name, one responsibility. I can't remember. One head will fall, right? So you need one person who's responsible for each area. Otherwise, there is no such thing as accountability. Correct. There's no accountability unless there's one person responsible and there's no, you know, so you can't have, that's why when we run our team structures, we don't have a flat structure. So often firms run it on a very flat structure. We, we have a, a narrow and deep structure. So there's one person accountable. And, uh, you know, the people that are underneath that person uh, reports to that person and there's one person accountable. So g- give you an example. Uh, we, we don't share staff um, because if you share staff, then nobody takes responsibility for that mm. staff. Yep. E- each manager thinks the other manager is going to take responsibility for mm. him or that staff room, and then nobody does. Mm. And there's no accountability. And it creates confusion. Mm. And it's quite confusing. There's a 
domino effect that gets created all down the line. But we didn't come together to talk about. Mm. Oh no! Isn't it amazing what tangents we end up on, Ed? I think, but I think I think that's really interesting. Okay, so we talked about the differences between mergers and acquisitions. We talked about sort of like the the management model being this partnership. I we we're all doing the same sort of thing. And uh, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about accounting practices. This is just as applicable to many many other industries. And I mean, you know, the legal industry is rife with this partnership model per per se, which is everyone's the lawyer. You know, rather than the the corporate management model that you're talking about here. But even to businesses that aren't in professional services like accounting and legal, you know, certainly I, I think there there is the issue of businesses coming together and particularly in this environment where you're talking about a merger, where you come together and you've got a number of people who were doing the same sort of role within their, their previous organisations. I guess effectively now you have to make this diff, distinction in a merger about who's going to take the lead in each of those roles because inherent in what you're saying here is it doesn't work if there's two people who have accountability so therefore in each merger we have this difficulty of you know you have to work through the process of making sure you've chosen someone from a role am I putting words in your own mouth or is that you know is that correct that's correct so you have to be very clear as to who's responsible for what and you I find that sharing responsibilities don't don't work as effectively Mm. in this Unless the two parties have a very, very innate understanding of each other, uh, I find that um, it generally doesn't work as well. So there's always going to be a role, and it's not a hierarchy as such, but it's more of a a role that you're responsible for and tasks that you're responsible for. And that that can be outlined in the job description basis. It can be outlined in a you know in in a particular you know organisation chart. Mm. Uh, so to speak, and um, yeah, and, and it can be clearly defined. But as long as it's clearly defined, then that should um, minimise any confusion. Great. Okay. So merger. Uh, I'm hearing here one of the tips for merger is okay. What one of the risks is perhaps you've got multiple people who were doing the same role. The tip is you need to allocate separate roles for each person, um, and and just make sure you're really clear about the accountabilities that connect to those and the KPIs and and all of those things. Okay, so then where is a JV different? Where are we moving to if we're looking at JVs as an alternative to mergers? Okay, um, there's various different variations of joint ventures. Um, So I can, you know, talk about a lot of different types of joint ventures. Um, There's a, a, like a franchise, franchisee joint venture where there's a sharing of the brand and a sharing of intellectual property. But effectively, you know, they're in a joint venture together because uh, one party has signed an agreement to use the intellectual property of another party. But effectively, they're separate parties. Uh, They're not together as such. They're they're separate organisations. So the franchisor is not the same as the franchisee, although the branding might be the same. And, you know, they're, they're paying a royalty for the use of, uh, the intellectual property, but there are they are separate entities. So if if you were to sue one of those entities, you'd have to sue them separately, if mm. you like, because they are independent organisations. And then you can you can go from that kind of a joint venture to a joint venture like ours, like Chan and Naylor, where we do have a sharing of revenue in that the 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 head franchise, the head joint venture owns an equity interest in the the next level down uh, entity. So our offices, for example, uh, share the same brand. They 
contribute towards a marketing expenditure because it's very expensive to run your marketing. And as a standalone office, it's, uh, it's, it's ex- quite expensive to try and do it yourself. So we... I understand, and I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I'm teaching to the converted. Uh, uh, in, in our model, they instead of you know one office having to pay for you know the website, the social media, the the marketing manager, the mm. there's three there's three levels of marketing. There's the strategy level is one, and then there's the management level is the second, and then the the third level is you know people to do the work, the, the grinders, if you like, and uh, and at the grinder level, there's a different level of expertise. Uh, there's an, and there's a specialist that does you know, SEO, and there's a specialist that does graphics, and then there's a, a specialist that does PPC, pay per clicks, like Facebook advertising and Google advertising. That's a specialist that does that. Mm. And there's different um, areas in such a, and then there's remarketing, and you know, it, it, it's such a specialized area of uh, digital marketing in today's age, and. And a lot of those grinder levels are specialists. And then you need, mm. the, above that, you need the manager to, to pull that together. And then, of course, above the manager is, uh, is the strategist to strategize. So a standalone firm can't afford all of that. It's quite no. expensive to run that, that, that kind of a, an organized uh, a marketing team. Uh, however, in Chananada, we we share that because it's shared amongst uh, eleven or twelve offices, so mm. it's a lot more economical mm. to do so in the, in our joint venture. And that's just an example, but there are many different types of joint ventures. And at the end of the day, they're, they're two separate organisations, which is a joint venture compared to a merger when you you're working together in one organisation. Yep. Okay, so let's use some of your experiences then in your own practice to drill into what this actually can look like as a joint venture. And you call your joint joint ventures JVPs, don't you? What does the P stand for again? I've forgotten the P. Joint venture partners. Oh, partners. Right. Okay. All right. So the the partners are the the right uh, in the in the JVs. Love it. Um. So y- you use JVPs. Okay. So the first question. Let's step right back to your very first merger acquisition or JV arrangement. Which was it that you started in? What was the first one? Um. The very first one really was. Um. We started in uh, Parramatta. That was our first office. And then um, Clive came in and um, took over running that practice. So we, we'd set it all up and put all the system, systems in. And he came in. And I guess that wasn't uh, the first one because that was a effectively a partnership because he mm. bought into that, that office. Then mm-hmm. that allowed us at that stage to go and start uh, Pimble and Pimble um started from scratch and it's grown into a significant size practice. Um, but because of the Chananala's background and so forth and the marketing that we're doing, we were generating quite a lot of new leads from clients and they were coming in from all over Australia. And um, so we ended up then opening up our next office, which was in Perth, and that was our first true joint venture. 
Uh, so up until this point, it had been almost a branch model. You, yeah. you had e- equity arrangements, but effectively it was a branch model because there were similar underlying own, um, ownership. So then Perth, now you've said, okay, let's try this JV approach. And and so how did you do that? How did you set Perth up? Okay, so when Perth joined us, she um, she was... Um, looking at getting out, actually, um, she had had enough and she wanted to to leave. And uh, I remember uh, talking to her and saying, I, "I think you're too small at this stage because it's it's very hard if you're below around five hundred thousand to run the council practice. It's um, mm-hmm. you're trying to do everything yourself and you work very long hours and you don't mm-hmm. have resources. There's a there's a critical mass that each industry needs to get to before um, uh, before it begin, becomes easier, before you've got the resources around you to, for it to become easier. In, in accounting, it's around six to seven to 800,000. Right. Until you get to that level, uh, then it's pretty hard yakka, a lot of, lot of long hours and, 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 you know, and you're very vulnerable because um, you might only have one or two staff and mm. they left and, you know, you're, you're left to... To, to handle the work yourself and mm. uh, whereas you've got you know you've got once you get a bit bigger you've got client managers and you've got uh, um, accountants and if one left then it doesn't hurt you as much because the others uh, take on the slack uh, t- take on the the extra yep. work until you find somebody else so uh, so that critical mass is important so I said to her look um, you know if I could double your turnover and got you bigger we'll go 50 50 in it and she agreed and, you know, we, we grew it and we doubled it in one year and then we continued to double it and double it. Wow. And, and that's how it, that, that evolved because we were getting so many clients coming uh, coming to us from right around Australia um, and we couldn't service them all from Sydney. So it made more sense if we had a local office. And, uh, you know, there was a large, uh, a large amount of clients coming from Perth Mm. It was a natural, a natural sort of uh, fit. It was a win for her, and it was a win for us. So it, it has to be a win-win; otherwise, it won't work. So, yeah. uh, and so, how did you find this accounting practice and th- that particular exact one? Do you recall? Well, it was it, it, with with Perth. I, I just met her in at a seminar, really, and um, right. just talking, and she mentioned that she was going to leave. And I mentioned to her that at the moment she's going to work to prepare a tax return, but and that's not that exciting. But if you work, <laughs> work to, you know, to build a business that prepared the tax return, that's m- much more exciting. Yeah, and, uh, and she agreed, and um, and so we focused on building the business that prepared the tax return rather than her preparing the tax return, and mm. it became a different game, if you like, mm. and. Uh, more exciting game and then you know she's been with us since and it's been about 15 years now I think and she's still she's still there and um that's a great story yes so uh so that was our first one and then we then sort of that went from there to to Melbourne and um we started Melbourne with a firm that was quite small who who couldn't grow and they had a lot of trouble growing 
and we went into the same deal with them. Once we doubled their turnover, we'll go 50-50. And again, we did that in, in 12 months. And so, sorry, are you are you putting any cash into these practices? Are you paying for equity here or, or the deal in, in those early days? What was there or, or were you funding the marketing? Is, is that what the cash was? You don't have to say if you don't want to, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> In the early days, um, we were funding it with our brand and the new clients were bringing. Yeah, right. Got it. Okay. Our, our contribution was, uh, you might call it uh, sweat equity or mm. brand equity. Mm. Uh, but for the firms themselves, they wouldn't have grown. Yeah. With us. And the reason I ask is because I think many businesses who are listening to this might say, oh, that's great, but I don't have a ton of cash. Maybe, you know, to go and throw into a- acquiring a practice. And, and, and that's just the reason I wanted to tease it out because I think it's a really good point because there can be value that you contribute over and above just cash. I mean, cash is one way to do it, right? You could go and buy 50% of the practice with cash. But the point is where you started was here's something that you had a value that someone else didn't have and you were, you know, the meeting of the minds. It's it's just the perfect element, isn't it, in terms of growth of business that you contribute something of value that they don't have, that they value more than cash because together you can grow something bigger um, and it's not just about cash. But, uh, but it's also an opportunity for people who don't necessarily have the access to cash or don't want to use cash at this point to look at it from a more creative viewpoint because there's other things that you might be able to use. Yes, and, and a lot of startups work on that basis where yeah. a lot of startups don't have cash, so they offer equity yeah. and uh, often they they target talent, but instead of giving the talent or the employees a big wage, they give them a smaller wage, but then they give, you, they give them um, equity in the business. So they're sacrificing, you know, uh, in return for the equity in the business and so there's different ways that that you contribute. And at the end of the day, it just depends on the two parties that are involved as, as to whether they see any value in it. And and obviously, in our situation, you know, the, the respective parties uh, saw value in each of their each other's contribution and uh, and it worked. And you know, in addition to that, you know, I've learned a lot now. You, you know, Jonah, they they say that unless you've spent 10,000 hours in doing a particular thing that you're not yeah, an, that an expert. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard that one. Yes, I've spent my 10,000 hours. I think it's like <laughs> hours in this area now. So, you know, what I've found and, and over the years, you know, looking back on I think it's about 15 years now, um, looking at the success and we've had many successes and also the failures. And it came down to one thing, really, the, the failures, looking back on it. And it was, a, it was because the cultural fit wasn't right. Um, failed. So I, I don't do that anymore, uh, Joanna. I, I don't, you know, when we first started, there was no money in the bank. So this, this joint venture business, you know, we started with nothing. And, you know, I, I used to take people on just because they put their hand up. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just, I was, wanted people to join because then they helped contribute towards the overheads instead of me carrying all the overheads myself. Yeah. Yeah. But if the cultural fit isn't isn't there, it might last for for one year, two years, three years, but then you'll eventually fall apart and mm. cause more damage to the practice that's coming in and also your own business. And I, I prefer not to do that anymore. Now now we're at a very mature level. Uh, we don't we don't need 
um, you know, revenue to survive anymore. So I, I do it slightly different now. I, I work with the firm for 12 months initially and to see if there's a really good cultural fit. And then at the end of that time, then if there is a good cultural fit, if it's got to be a win for the, the incoming firm and it's a win for us, uh, then we'll mutually agree to do it. If not, then just know how it feelings. In the meantime, they've had the benefit of my input. So I help them run their business better, put in all the systems, the team structures, you know, all the flow, the managing the, the, the traffic flow, helping them do all that. And at the end of 12 months, if uh, if there was no light to join up, then they walk away with a much better running business uh, mm. that they can take with them. And that's a benefit to them as well. So it's a win-win for both. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It's a really good point. Okay, that's it for part one of our two-part series with Ed Chan talking all about joint venture relationships and how they can be seen as a different way of going around uh, and achieving a merger or acquisition. We've covered a lot of information in this episode um, and we'll be back in part two next week, in part two of this two-part series, where we finish off the discussion all about these joint venture relationships, how you can set them up and the tips and tricks that you should be aware of along the way. We really dig into some important nuances in the second part of this two-part series. So I hope you can join us again. And until then, if you'd like more information about this topic or you'd like to work out how you can contact Ed Chan, um, either at Chan and Naylor or um, at Wise Mentoring, then simply check out the show notes notes or head over to our website at www.thedealroompodcast.com. Now there you'll also be able to find details of how you can contact our legal eagles at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. Well, thanks again for listening in. We hope to have you back next week for the second part of this two-part series. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Have you heard of Aspect Legal's partner program? Our partner program is a free program that's open to brokers, corporate advisors, accountants and any other advisors to businesses who are dealing with organisations that are leading into a sale or acquisition of businesses or shares. As part of our partner program, we offer free access to our legal hotline, which is a support line to our specialist lawyers. We also provide a pre-free sale legal review to buyers and sellers where we educate them about the process and timelines from a legal perspective. And the third element that forms part of this partner program is a match-up database that we run where effectively we're able to connect up accountants or brokers or corporate advisors with businesses who are looking to either sell or acquire. So if you're a partner of ours, you go straight into that partner database and where we can see opportunities to provide matchups, then we introduce you. And the final element of our partner program is ongoing education in the form of seminars, webinars and meetups. And that's something new that we're introducing into the partner program in early 2020. So if you're not a partner, then all you need to do to become a partner is just pop us an email at partners at aspectlegal.com. 
www.ai.org.au and just simply say in your subject column, I want to become a partner. It's as easy as that to get immediate access to our free legal hotline and all of those other resources. We look forward to having you on board as a partner. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.